want to give a special welcome to our video audience. My name is Sherwin. I'm the pastor here at Lake Ten Bethel. And just as a reminder, we have two services every Sunday. <coughs> Excuse me, one at nine and one at eleven. And you are more than welcome. You know, with the, making these videos, I sometimes wonder if anybody ever really watches them. You know, we get these neat little counters on YouTube and Facebook. Some weeks there's a couple thousand views, and some weeks a couple hundred. Well, I was going to see somebody at Mercy Hospital just down the road here, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and this gal in a minivan with two little kids in there, she stops, and she, the window comes down. She goes, are you that pastor? And I go, well, that, that depends. And she says, oh, no, me and my family, we watch you every week. And so I said, oh, you're the one. But apparently uh, they, they do that, and we're glad to have you on board. I didn't get your name at the hospital, but if you're watching, best wishes to you and hope everything's going okay. Everyone is welcome here at Lake and Bethel, and we mean it. So just keep that in mind. Today we're going to talk about small potatoes. And I didn't realize that this close to lunchtime, that picture can make you hungry. But it does. What do we mean by small potatoes? By using that idiom as part of our language. And it typically means those are things that don't matter for the long haul. But we can get massively upset over these things. I've kept a journal for off and on for many years now, probably 50 years. And as I was putting this together, I went back through it just to see some of the things that really bothered me 20 years ago. And I look at that and I think it's absolutely ridiculous what I was upset about 20 years ago. This time of the year, 20 years ago, I had an old snowblower that I'd bought locally and it had shear pins in the whatever the thing is that spins in there. So whenever I would hit a block of ice, I believe you Michiganders call them fender boogers, but whenever I would hit one of those, the shear pins would go. So I'd have to put new ones in. I had a supply of them, but I ran out. So I went to the store where I bought the snowblower, and they didn't stock the shear pins anymore. And I was furious about that. I had deep snow. I had to go to three or four other hardware stores to find the shear pins that fit in that thing. But it was ridiculous to get upset about that. You know, because the snow always melts. By the 1st of May, it doesn't matter how much I blew my snow. And a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter at all how much I blew that snow. So why get upset about it? You know, and then there's other things that upset me that have lost their power. Sometimes on Sunday afternoons, I would just be beside myself worrying about, did I say something that offended someone? I'd stew on it. Sometimes I offend people and they let me know. And I'd get defensive and get all worked up about it. Not anymore. Now I try not to offend people intentionally, but I seem to always offend somebody. I had to come to the realization that some folks are going to be offended no matter what. 
So I decided not to let that bother me anymore. 100 years from now, it's not going to matter. We all get upset about things that just don't matter for the long haul. And I think anxiety is epidemic in our culture. There's, I think we're a bunch of anxiety addicts, and there's lots of folks on medicine for it. I sometimes subscribe to the New York Times. There's an article recently in there from the Harvard Medical Journal that said that one out of 10 Americans is taking medication for anxiety these days. And we think, you know, sometimes that a certain task is going to give us anxiety. So what do we do when that task might make us nervous? Well, we procrastinate, and then we get more nervous about it. Or we eat and drink and binge watch TV. And all these things add to the anxiety. We sweat the small stuff, and that makes it a big deal. Now, there is a solution for anxiety. And it's really simple. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 6, 33, and I'm using the contemporary English version uh, today for, for this one. Jesus is talking here, and he says, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. So you see what he's saying here. Put Jesus first, and all your other priorities will fall in line. Now this means surrender. This means giving up your will for his. <coughs> this means getting in the chair. Uh, metaphorically, you get in the chair, you trust the chair to hold you, just like you trust Jesus to save you. It means you put all your chips in that basket. This means reporting for duty. Going to heaven saying, what would you like me to do for you right now? And when you do this, the things that are upsetting you lose their power over you. It's a miracle. When you put Jesus first, it doesn't matter if your car is dirty. I remember all kinds of anxiety on Saturday afternoons because my mom would have to make that car spotless to go to church on the next day. And it was all kinds of things. We had to buy a special high-pressure washer. And, you know, it was a mercury. It's amazing the thing didn't take the fenders off of it. But we had to have a special washer. She'd clean everything up, wipe the dash, wipe the steering wheel off. Now, in... Ever since I moved out of that house, I don't believe I've ever wiped a steering wheel down. But she did. Because for her, that was important. But it's not important if your car is dirty. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care if you were wearing the latest fashions, if your clothes are out of style. Those things aren't going to matter. It doesn't, it's not going to matter a hundred years from now if your team doesn't win. Sorry about that last week, folks. It doesn't matter a hundred years from now if your favorite politician doesn't win. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter if your lawn is perfectly mowed or not. And a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter if somebody thinks you're stupid. Because they're going to be gone, too. 
See, when you put Jesus first, he makes powerful changes in your life, and your priorities shift. He's still changing me. What I've learned is that most of our anxiety, most of my anxiety, comes from being outside of God's will. And when you put Jesus first, he puts power into you. He puts peace into you. Now, Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, knew about this. And he writes about it in 2 Corinthians 4. And this is what he says. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making a new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. See, the outside may be falling apart. You know, your foreheads are growing. You know, you know things just aren't the same. But on the inside, you are growing. You're getting a new life. This grace is increasing you. And that's an important thing for us to remember. He goes on, he says, These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. Now, I think this is, this is Paul at his finest. And this particular verse I've taken from the message, it's a paraphrase. Those of you who are historian or history-oriented will know that when Paul wrote this in Greece about 60 AD, he had no idea what a potato was. Potatoes hadn't come to Europe or the Middle East until after South America was discovered. So they didn't have potatoes, but this is a paraphrase to show how insignificant all of these things are that we get so uptight about. He's telling us to not get uptight about them because they are only temporary. That God has planned for us a celebration that is lavish, that is going to be luxurious, that he wants to give this to us, and he will. So Paul then keeps his focus on the big potatoes, the things that have importance in the light of eternity. He goes on and says, there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. See, so much of what we see is temporary. Like your body is temporary. You know, all the time you spent in the gym, well, you're going to die anyway. It's just a fact. Eventually, we're all going to get sick and go. Same as for your wealth. All the money you've invested, your mutual funds, all those things, you can't take them with you. Your problems are not going to matter a hundred years from now because all these things are temporary. The big deal about this singer, uh, Taylor, what it's Swift, that everybody's talking about now, well, guess what? A hundred years from now, nobody's going to remember who Taylor Swift is. <laughs> Except Keith Richards will be playing her music. But see, all these things are temporary. What does it matter? 
These are things that we can't see. What you can take with you is your character that's transformed by Christ. That's the only thing that you take into heaven with you. And the things you do for Christ somehow build up an account for you in heaven. As Jesus says, where it can't rot, it can't be stolen, it's there for you. Your character and what you've done for God are the only things that will last. So then what does that mean for us? Well, what it means for me is I stop getting bent out of shape over things don't matter in the long run. All these little things that we normally get bent out of shape for don't really matter. The Greek word for them is adiaphora, things that are irrelevant to salvation. So we got to stop getting bent out of shape over that. We just need to knock that off. I used to have all kinds of anxiety trying to write perfect sermons. And I pushed myself and pushed myself to do that. I mean, I went and got a doctorate to do that. But writing perfect sermons is stressful because I was doing that to make me look good. See, I wanted to be the super pastor. Well, that didn't work. And guess what, folks? Writing these crosstalks that I do now, I don't even call them sermons. When I look at it as something that actually might help somebody, it's not stressful at all. And I'm guessing it's because I see it now as God's work, or work for him. A clean car and a clean house won't matter 100 years from now. Many years ago, probably around 1980, this church was doing a service at Pioneer Park on Sundays. And I was an intern in another church in Muskegon. So they asked me to fill in on Pioneer Park a few times, and I don't like camping. So it was not a good fit for me, but I did it. And John Foss was the pastor here at that time. Um, many of you can remember him. But I was driving a really cool car, 1978 Chevy Chevette. Remember those? It's amazing there's none of those on the road right now. They didn't last very long, did they? But in the back, I had a bunch of junk, and John Foss was the pastor here. I'd stopped in, parked probably right where I'm parked today. And he looked at my car and he goes, you'll never get a good job as a pastor if you don't clean your car up. Because people notice those things. And I like John. He's a good guy, but he was just wrong about that. So a few years later, I'm the pastor here. And we have an anniversary celebration of some sort. And the former pastors were invited. He shows up. Now, at that time, I was driving a big old Chevy Caprice wagon, you know, one of those good cars. And uh, I was coaching soccer at the time. So I had bags of soccer balls and cones and whatnot in the back of that wagon. And John Foss walked by. I said, John, remember, look at how messy my car is. Remember you said I'd never get a good job as a pastor? if I kept my car messy. And he pointed to the door of Lake and Bethany. He said, see, I was right. 
So, yeah, can't win for losing sometimes. But I guarantee a clean car and clean house won't matter 100 years from now. It's fame and fortune and all those things are fleeting. They won't matter long. But neglecting God's work will matter. When I was a kid growing up, we had something like this hanging in our house. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that probably has impacted me more than I want to admit. But I do want to persuade everybody to pick up this perspective. Life is much less miserable that way. Because you don't have to sweat the small stuff. And it is mostly small stuff. As Paul teaches, bigger and better things are on the way. So let's try it. Let's put Jesus first in everything. Everything that we possibly can. Tuesday night I had a meeting in my office here. I got here early, so I stopped in here and Shelly was doing a rehearsal. And I thought, you know, she's doing God's work. All these musicians are volunteers. They could be home watching Netflix, but they weren't. They were here. Netflix is not going to last, but God's work will. And that's important for us to understand. I also went down the basement and dropped in on the hand-to-hand -hand people. They were packing the food up. It's amazing. They could have all been home binging some TV show or whatever it is, but they weren't. They were here doing God's work. And because of that, eternal blessings will be yours. Now, we're going to move into the sacrament of the Lord's Supper now, and I just wanted to want you to think about what that's like. It was a common... Passover meal that they were celebrating. And they had this upper room. And most New Testament scholars say that was prearranged, that the, the Mark, the guy who wrote the second gospel, it was his mother's home that they were actually in. So Jesus' students all come in there, and they're all teenage boys except for maybe Peter, who was married, but people got married at 14 or 15 in those days. And they're up there in that room. They'd been walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And what Jesus does, instead of taking his place at the head of the table, he goes around and washes their feet. And he says to them, you know, if you're going to be my disciples, this is what you're going to be doing. And again, that had to hit them pretty hard. The table that they would have eaten off of would probably be just a foot high. And they all kind of spread out on the floor to eat off of it. It's significant, and that's why I insist on having the table on the floor and not on the stage. Because it represents the fact that Jesus comes to us. He comes to us on our level. In the early days of Christianity, the Lord's Supper was called the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. And that's what I want it to be, a time of remembering and a time of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for us. Remembering that he comes to us. So on this night, when Jesus was betrayed,
he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. From now on, every time that you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. It's kind of a dessert cup. It's filled with wine. And everybody drank out of the same cup. What he did is he took the cup and he blessed it. And he says, this is my blood shed for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we can't understand it all. But we understand that you have commanded us to do this in remembrance of you, and so we do it. My prayer is that the memory of what you have done affects every soul in this room and those who might be watching on video so that we can be transformed through your spirit. Amen.